Why are you so nervous, Marcus? It's all right, mate. Yeah. <laughs> good day, chick. And I'll just say, right back at him, I'll say, good day, toots. Did the t- boys take the piss out of it? Yes, we did, but we all did enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 87 of the Pressure Point podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Quinn DeLuca. How you going, mate? I'm very good. I'm very good. I'm excited. We've got the podcast rolling again for 2022, and I think uh, this episode is probably kicking it off with a bang, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, no better way to start 2020, 2022, and we probably didn't plan to to start like this as well, so it's uh, it's been it's really good. Very excited for it. Oh, absolutely. And, you know... Every kid growing up in footy has their childhood heroes and being a Richmond supporter, I think it's well documented that mine was Richo. But I think uh, for sure for you that the um, the gentleman we're about to speak to was definitely your hero growing up. Yeah, yeah. Don't embarrass me. But yeah, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, uh, we won't give too much away, but uh, we will uh, give a brief introduction and then we'll, um, we'll announce our guest. But yeah, we've got 278 game superstar with the Carlton Football Club, two-time All-Australian, an AFLPA MVP, a 95 premiership player. AFL Hall of Fame member, AFL and Carlton Life member, and more importantly, a Greek and Italian team of the century, Anthony Kudafidis. Kuda, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, boys. Good to be on here. Thank you for the lovely introduction too. I appreciate it. Oh, we, we have to do you justice. You've done so many good things in the football world and outside as well, but we start off pretty casually. What, what's been happening recently? Obviously, you've been on Dancing with the Stars. How's that experience been? It's been good. I was very lucky. I got asked back in 2006 and uh, I walked in as a guy who had no idea what to do in terms of dancing. And my waltz at my wedding was one of the worst waltzes you could ever imagine. I just basically walked around and all of a sudden I walked into this uh, to see my dance partner and, uh, and I was learning all these steps and body posture and I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know dancing was this complex. And uh, so I was lucky I, I won that series. And then uh, because of that, I got asked uh, last year and I was debating because of all the COVID situation, everything going on, and it was going to be filmed in Sydney. I was like, I was a little bit concerned because Sydney really skyrocketed with COVID cases. But um, luckily, I had my wife and daughter that were really encouraging and said, just, you know what, just do it. And uh, I'm sure everything, everything will work out well. And so it did. And so now I can kick back, boys, because it's not live. Like in 2006, it was live. I can kick back and just uh, watch myself dance. No, absolutely. And the dancing you're doing is honestly very impressive. I can't dance to save myself. I've got two left feet, (laughs) as I've been told. But I think the most impressive thing on my point of view anyway, watching you dance like that is you're you're quite a muscular guy and you wear fit into some of the tightest clothing I've ever seen on that show. How do you get into those clothes with some of the muscles you're packing? (laughs) No, I haven't got as much muscles as what I had in 2006, I can assure you. 2006, I was struggling that hard by week three or four I had to rip my top off to hopefully get more votes from people and that didn't really work so I was in a bit of trouble there at some stage just believe it or not I was on the show with uh, Chris Hemsworth back then he was on my series and of course now he's an absolute superstar um, and so I had a wonderful time and Andrew Gaze on there which I was thrilled about because I, I was thinking great there's someone that's got to be worse dancer potentially than myself but this one here there was uh it was a tight top I wore last week for the uh, salsa dance, and I could see on on television that they had a bit of a rip at the back. So I'm not sure how that happened because I'm only I'm tiny now compared to what I was before. Although I weigh similar weights, but I used to yeah I had the bigger shoulders and all that. But now with mate, the old body's just breaking down on me uh, every year. It gets harder and harder. But I mean, you know what? In saying that too, Quinn, like I didn't expect myself to be able to dance 
also not some a great dancer, but I know with the last series I you know was terrible, but I, I became good at the end. So slight improvements along the way. But this series here, the level of dancing is just went kaboom, man. It was the judges said it was the the best sort of crew of dancers they've ever had in one show put together. But pretty hard to compete. Like now I'm at 49 years of age and. I've got an arthritic shoulder that doesn't really move a lot, so I haven't got a lot of movement. So before my lifts, I can't lift it, but before my lifts were probably one of the attributes that I had compared to anyone else, and I wasn't able to utilise it with this uh, series. But look, I had a wonderful time, and uh, my dance partner was magnificent and just had to work around my injuries. No, absolutely. You've done a fantastic job, and like you said, it's not live, so we're not sure of the result yet, but we're wishing you all the best of luck regardless from a few weeks behind. But... We're getting to uh, the re- how we got you on was quite interesting. We posted a photo, obviously mimicking you and Kevin Sheedy in the Carlton and Richmond jumpers the other day. And the thing that confused me the most was how did we get Sheedy back into a Richmond jumper? He's definitely more of an Essendon man these days. How did that come about for the Virgin campaign? Mate, you need to ask him, but I thought the same thing. I actually asked him too, saying, "What are you now, Richmond? Like are you Richmond or Essendon? Make up your mind because it's one or the other." And I'm not sure why they asked him. Obviously, he played for Richmond many years ago, but I've, I look at him like an, as an Essendon man, you know, but um, a wonderful guy, you know, in his mid seventies, who's still mate, just very lively. And uh, he wouldn't, he wouldn't stop talking that whole time I did the promo with him, but what an icon he is to Australian rules football, you know, what he was able to achieve is unbelievable. So it was good just to be working alongside of him, but uh, you know, being there aeroplane, kicking the footy over the aeroplane, you know, for Virgin Airlines, it was great. So, on game day, I'm not sure when this is going to be um, aired for people to listen to, um, but on game day of Carlton Richmond, uh, there's a flight that's coming from Sydney to Melbourne. They're calling the fan flight. It's the first time ever they've done it. And so everyone's going to get a ticket to the game on that flight and they'll get merchandise. We'll be eating meat pies, maybe having a beer or so, and we're going to run through a banner when we land. So that's going to be really exciting. I, I can't wait for that day. Oh, that'll be amazing. I'll make sure Marcus and I are keeping a lookout for it as yeah, we'll be in Richmond that day, getting ready to go to the G and see round one again. And I know we, we put the question out there, you know, who did it better? You and Sheedy or Marcus and I, and you, you, you know, very kindly said we did it better. But I think the one thing Sheedy had on us, especially was he has a better head, better head than better head of hair than I do. And he's about 50 years older than me. So I give him a bit of respect there. He's got you. <laughs> No, he's got me covered. Definitely. All right. Well, um, we'll get into your, to your footy story, Cooter, and um, what we do with all our guests. We, we like to, to wind it right back to the start, to your early days and um, sort of leading up to your debut. So, so tell us about your your, you know, your few years um, before you debuted for the Blues and, and what that was like and um, and then, yeah, how, how it all transpired to, to getting picked up by, by Carlton. I started footy at the age of eight. Uh, my brother was nine. We went to our primary school, had over a thousand kids. There was a lot of migrant kids there. Lalo Thomastown area, which was pretty much the outskirts of Melbourne back in the day. Had a mix of Australian kids and, and Euro, you know, a lot of European kids there, migrants. And uh, it was just a growth area. Oh, we fell in love with the oval ball, not the round ball, the oval ball. To me, footballers were gladiators back then when they used to punch on and not that I enjoyed that stuff, but I just loved the thrill of the game and looked at them like they were gladiators. And so we went down local footy club to try out. Mum and dad didn't want us to play the game, as you can imagine being, you know, uh, European parents born overseas. So they looked at the game like it was too rough and tough for my kids to play. But, uh, you know, I had this wonderful Australian family that took us to the games. My mum and dad started to come along after that. They fell in love with the game, never missed a game. After that, uh, in that was in the winter. In the summer, I, I did athletics and uh, I was a bit of a shy kid. But by the time I was in grade five, I was a state high jump champion with not a lot of training. 
I was a little bit of a natural athlete. And then uh, come 14, I was Australian champion high jumper under 15s, under 16s. I won many multi-events and uh, had uh, also the Australian record for 110 metre hurdles. So I was Australian champion hurdler as well. Um, but at the age of 14, I lived in the Carlton zone and uh, I was a Mad Collingwood supporter. I got the letter. They had a junior development squad back in the day. So it's different now. This is late 80s we're talking. And so they asked about 120 kids, I reckon, to go down there. And you train once a week for 10 weeks. And every week they would eliminate some. And if you got to the end, obviously you played in the carnival, which was on the school holiday. So I played two years under 15s at the junior development squad, Carlton, and, and then went on to represent Victoria. I was the only Carlton player to make the Victorian team under 15s. And then from there, uh, Carlton asked me to play in the under 19s. And that's when I had to give away my beloved Lola Football Club. And I love being there. It was such a great club to be associated with back in the day. And uh, I took up under 19s. So I played under 19s footy. I played, I think, 36 or 38 games in the under-19s over, over the couple of years that I played there. I made the Till Cup team. I made the All-Australian team in the Till Cup. And then Carlton offered me a contract at the age of 17. And so I, that was the, the decision that I had to make. Do I continue on with athletics and potentially, you know, represent Australia at the Olympics? Or do I, you know, try to potentially play the Carlton Football Club? And then I chose the Carlton Football Club. It was a three-year deal. And uh, I didn't... I don't think... As much as I loved athletics and maybe even maybe loved athletics a little bit more, I didn't hesitate to sign that contract because to me, you know, Australian rules football or VFL back then was just the, the greatest sport on the planet. And so, uh, you know, if you, I, I thought if, if there's a chance of me making it, it'd be a lot easier to make it as a footballer more so than, you know, winning a gold medal at the Olympics to be remembered as an athlete. And so I chose footy. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I think, I think I've heard that story a few times, but to hear it hear it again and, and you know, on our podcast is great. So, um, yeah, shows how, how talented you, you were as, as a junior as well. And um, and then, yeah, going on to your debut. So you debuted around 13, 19, 1992 against Adelaide. What are your memories of that? It's obviously a long time ago now. And I'm sure everyone everyone rumors their debut. So, yeah, run us, run us through that day. I uh, was on the list in 1991, but never got a game. So I played 50 uh, reserve games all up. Um, in 1992, I was playing a fullback. So in 91, I didn't have a great year in the reserves. And then I put on a lot of size in that preseason. I, I hit the weights properly for the first time. I, I don't know if I put seven, eight or nine kilo. I'm not, I'm not sure. But in a short span of time, I put on all this muscle. I just hitting the weights hard. And uh, that slowed my endurance down. So I didn't know all these things I had to learn along the way. My endurance was terrible. But all of a sudden, I had this strength um, that I had more so than the year previous and so they played me a fullback and uh, they called me the rock. So I, I did, I played pretty well, but so I was emergency quite a few times. And then I was thinking, geez, am I ever going to get a game? You know, like surely now this week and it wasn't this week, I was emergency. Eventually I got picked. I mean, it, that was one of the highlights of my life. I could not believe it. I was one of the most excited young kids, you know, as you can imagine playing your first AFL game in particular back then when, if they had to choose between an experienced player or an inexperienced player, they always went experienced player. And so to get a game back then, it was just, mate, well, I'm, I'm talking about the greatest club in the competitions. So growing up as a Collingwood supporter, I'm looking at Carlton Football Club that my brother broke for Paul, and they would just, they would just win every year. And, you know, they, they would win games that they shouldn't win. They had the most incredible culture. And then all of a sudden there I was, my first game. Oh, I just remember being so nervous and, and back in the day, you wouldn't know this, boys, because you're probably too young, but there used to be the white pages. So every household 
you had to look look up the surname and you could find their number in order to be able to dial them. There was no mobile phones back then. Imagine having Kudafidis was the only Kudafidis in the white pages. And so people started ringing at home. Congratulations, you know, Kuda. By the time 95 came around in the grand final week, we, we had to take the phone off the hook. It was just ringing every second of the day. So everyone knew where I lived. Everyone knew my phone number back then. There was no, like, privacy. And... Um, yeah, I remember starting on the bench and then coming on and uh, I kicked, like, I think my first kick got smothered, but somehow bounced back to me and then uh, I kicked the goal. And uh, yeah, I had a pretty decent game considering I probably only played half of the game. And uh, yeah, that was the start of my career against Adelaide and we won that day too, which made it even more special. Yeah, the great story. And 92 is the year I was born. So yeah, it makes me feel very, very young. It makes me feel like a very long time ago as well. So um but yeah, that's great. And then move, move, fast forwarding, you know, a couple of years later, and um, the '95 season, the arguably one of one of the best home and away seasons the team has put together, and and then the Blues going on to win the premiership. So yeah, run us through that season. Obviously, it's yeah the last time Carlton has won a premiership as well, and um, yeah, people are very quick to remind us about that. And uh, so yeah, run us through that season and and um, and grand final day as well. That season came in such a good timing for me. Why? Because. For many years, I struggled to make the senior team and 91 not getting a game, as I said before. 92, I played six games, 93, eight games. 94, got dropped halfway through the year. I thought really it was the end of my career. And then I got picked again two weeks later and they played me on the wing because I was so versatile. I played everywhere. I don't think I was settled. I don't think they really understood how to play me or what to do with me. And uh, they played me on the wing. I never looked back from that moment. So the second half of that 94 season, I really just started to uh, play, you know, really good footy. And then it was just in time for the greatest year of my life, 1995, as a 22-year-old kid. You can imagine going through that entire year, only losing two games to the two bottom teams in two weeks in a row. I don't know how that happened or why or whatever. And then from that point on, which we never looked back. And so it was just an unbelievable year. You know, I was 22. We were going out every weekend drinking, but we, we played and we played hard and we trained hard and we celebrated every week after that. Uh, Chases was... Chase's nightclub on a Sunday night was my favourite. I always looked first one in, last one out. I loved it. And uh, that life was so wonderful in Melbourne too. I mean, growing up at that period, you know, during that era of the 1990s, which I think was probably the best footy, you know, the 80s and 90s, or I think maybe early 2000s as well, uh, when footy was just so good to watch because it was just one-on-one battles. And so that season there, I remember the first week of uh, the final against Brisbane uh, Bears, it was back then, and they had phenomenal form in that second half of the year. And people forget that we were actually on top of the ladder in 94 with one game to go. We lost to Essendon, so we finished second. And then we went went out in straight sets in the final. So in 95, they were saying that we were too old and too slow. We had some aging, just AFL superstars, you know, in, in our team. And so we didn't, our window of opportunity was closing. And the Brisbane game, we made, it was in the balance at three-quarter time. And I hadn't had much of a kick. I had Chris Scott tagging me, the current-day Geelong coach, and... Uh, Parko put me up full forward. And I think Sticks kicked the first goal and I kicked the next three. And then we only ended up winning by 14 points. So luckily, you know, we went out there and we kicked a few goals in the last quarter. And then the prelim final against uh, North Melbourne, who were hard and tough under Dennis Pagan, they came physically at us, but we just stood tall. And we won by about 10 or 11 goals that night in, in uh, dewy and wet conditions. Then come grand final week, that was one of the great highlights, the greatest highlights of my life really when I think of the Tuesday and Thursday night training at Princess Park with the thousands of supporters being there I remember running out the race and the chant of Cuda going around the ground and 
I, I had goosebumps all over me and I was just so excited as a young kid, 22 years of age. You know, you go from high school being this, just, I don't know, a kid like, you know, having migrant parents and all of a sudden there you are, man, grand final week. That car parade around the city of Melbourne, which back then I, you know, I could be biased, but I think it was the greatest city in the world back then, uh, Melbourne. And then, you know, going through all the streets there with with my best mate, Ange, um, you know, in terms of footy best mates, Andrew, you know, I grew up with basically, you know, I met him when he was 17, I was 16, the under 19s, we went all the way through playing seniors together. And then grand final day, I remember the night before, like what I said before, the, the phone the phone was ringing every every second of the day. And so we had to take it off the hook, but, uh, you know, I had mates come over, everyone was excited, grand final tickets. And, uh, you know, I remember grand final day, how extremely nervous I was. Ange was a bit of a character. He Ange would go out the night before a game. I was always at home. If I did what he did, I wouldn't be able to kick. If he did what I did, he wouldn't be able to get a kick. You know, so everyone was different. And I remember being nervous, but Ange sort of just made me laugh a bit before the game and made them all ready to, to battle. And, uh, yeah, by halftime, we had this most incredible lead. And uh, Billy Brownless tackled Ange just after the halftime siren and it was an all-in melee. And then I remember halfway through the last quarter, basically I stood there in the middle of the MCG in front of 90,000 people and I just looked around and went, man, I'm about to be a premiership player here for the Carlton Football Club. It finally just hit home. All that were up by so much at halftime, it was still like I wasn't convinced that we are going to, you know, for sure going to win. And that was the moment then, really. And I remember when the song went on, I went absolutely crazy. And we celebrated. I went looking for Ange. Mulhanna got in the way. They gave Mill a big hug. He was one of our really our idols and mentors. Mill being a good, you know, uh, ethnic boy as well. And uh, it was unbelievable. And we celebrated for uh, many weeks after that. And I remember my father coming into the change room. This is one of the highlights of my life. And the photo, because he passed away actually two days ago. It was his 24-year anniversary when he passed away. And... Uh, that photo still sits in my mum's house. It's still my favourite photo of all time. Just him with John Elliott there, who unfortunately John Elliott passed away recently as well. Uh, that photo there, you know, will be with me forever and that memory will stand with me forever because I remember walking in, I had a beer in my hand and seeing my daddy gave me a kiss. And, uh, you know, being a, a migrant father and my mum, I'm sure they were the two proudest parents in the entire world, like every other parent would have been of their son on grand final day. Yeah, that was great. Like- I need goosebumps just hearing all that. So especially Carlton and Premiership in the same sentence, it's uh, not something you hear often these days. So not for yeah. our age, no, definitely anyway. not. So no, that was that was great. I think my favorite part of that story is normally when you hear the saying "first one in, last one out," it's referring to the weight room. But for you, it was Chase's nightclub. So I absolutely <laughs> love that. But you, you did touch on the fact that you were good friends with uh, Ange and like Ange Christou, obviously, and uh, it was a pretty famous friendship or bromance. And to win a premiership, you have to have a pretty tight-knit group. What, what other bromances did you have down at the club? And do you still keep in contact with many other premiership teammates today? Well, there was no one as close as Ange and myself. And uh, there was rumours about Ange floating around the late 90s, which weren't true, Ange and myself. And uh, we weren't as close as what people think. But uh, Glenn Manton was probably part of the Three Amigos. He was another great character, Manson, that I played Tool Cup with. And so I got to, got to get to know him then. And then he came across from uh, Essendon to us. Luke O'Sullivan was an absolute character of the football club. Barry Mitchell was another comedian classic of a guy. Mill Hannah. Like everyone was just, we just had the most incredible culture, that football club. I walked out, I was just so blessed when I think of the timing of me to experience the last 12 years of this most incredible culture. And, out of the 17 years I was on the list, the last five years weren't great, but the 12 before that were unbelievable. And I got to learn from some of the greats 
of all time at that football club. And so we had culture there, we had characters, we had fun, and we uh, won many games. And uh, Princess Park being our fortress, of course, there were games there, memories back then, boys, that you obviously were probably too young to remember. But everyone that I talked to that were part of Princess Park back in the days will never, ever forget the moments and the, the happiness that that ground and stadium brought to many people the thousands of people that walked through the gates in those times. And, you know, there's so many occasions in the third quarter, they called it the uh, premiership quarter that we'd just kick 10 goals down the Heatley stand and 20, 25,000 supporters screaming. There was like playing in front of 100,000 people at the MCG. And so I was very lucky to have uh, so many wonderful characters and leaders that I got to learn from back in my day. Yeah, I can, can certainly attest to the, the Princess Park atmosphere. I mean, going there as a young kid was um, definitely the highlight of, of my childhood going there and watching yourself play and all those superstars. So, um, yeah, it felt like there was, you know, 60, 70,000 people, Carlton supporters there. So it was great. And I, I certainly do miss it. I, I wish that that did come back. But, um, but yeah, we'll, we'll move on to a year later. So in 96, um, you know, when, when people talk about players, they, they bring up, you know, a few of your big games. And in 96, that, that one in particular against West Coast gets talked about a lot where you, know, you pulled in 18 marks and a few game-saving ones towards the end. Talk us about talk to talk us through that game. Um, do you feel like that was that was one of your your all time all time games uh, throughout your career? Yeah, it was probably I reckon a top three. I reckon there was a Sydney Swans game in two thousand and a North Melbourne game in two thousand that were probably better than that one there. But it was up there. I mean, eighteen marks and people spoke about that game for many many years afterwards. And I think out of all the history of Princess Park, when they had the ten greatest moments of all time there. I think the Peter Bazusto mark took the number one place, which was fair enough. It was unbelievable. And then my 18 mark haul against West Coast Eagles and, and the one point that we won that day was the second favourite moment of all time at Princess Park. That game, you know, I don't know, it just everything came together for me. Um, uh, I remember, yeah, I took quite a few marks in that first quarter. And, uh, yeah, like in the last quarter, <laughs> the game was like, in, in the balance and I was just in the right place at the right time. I could feel it that day. I was in the zone. And uh, when, when I look back and when I took that mark right at the end with about 12 seconds to go, I think Michael Sexton, who was on Jason Ball, actually fell over. So if I wasn't there, Jason Ball would have marked that ball on the chest. So it would have either been a draw if you missed it or that we would have lost that game. But I just stood in front. I just remember... The entire crowd chanting "Kuda, Kuda" at the end of the game. I was like, "Am I hearing things or what?" It was unbelievable. What what an atmosphere! There was a different energy that day. Not only that one point, but obviously the 18 marks meant a lot to a lot of the current supporters then. And uh, yeah, all the, all the plays were just over the moon, and you know everyone came up to me. It was just it was a crazy time. I used to drive mum and dad to the games, and you know walking out of the change rooms, it was a for half an hour, an hour, wait there, just signing autographs as they waited along too, waited for me to come out. But that game there uh, was spoken about for a long, long time, boys, uh, to be honest. And a lot of people, uh, yeah, remember that game. For not only the 18 marks that I took, but obviously the close game that it was and us winning by one point. Yep, absolutely. Um, speaking of, of memorable games, and um, I think you, you can't have a chat with Cuda without bringing up this one. And I mean, a chat with any Carlton supporter, and that, that's the 99 prelim final. And as a as a 29-year-old Carlton supporter, this would probably be the highlight of, of my Carlton life, um, this game and, and a couple other finals. But I think this one certainly takes the cake. And yeah, I mean, your performance in that last quarter, everyone knows about. And 
run us through that game. It's obviously it's obviously gone down as, as one of the greatest games of all time as well, um, being against our arch enemy in Essendon. Run us through that the atmosphere of that day and, um, you know, we'll massive underdogs to win. Um, yeah, run us through that. And then obviously, you know, your, your uh, amazing last quarter as well. Yeah, oh, we, we lost Essendon twice that year, once by over 40 points. And the next time over by over 70 points, they destroyed us twice in park and said after the second time we played him, he said that we, we were a B grade team. And so somehow, man, we made the finals that year. We lost the first week, believe it or not, to Brisbane and, we, we we got the game against West Coast on, on the MCG and we tweaked our game plan a little. We played phenomenal football that day to get over the line. And then of course we came up against Essendon and Essendon supporters were basically lining up for grand final tickets, uh, expecting to win. So all the pressure was on them. My, my memory of that game was before the game, John Elliott, who I believe was the greatest president of all time at that football club, and he created this most incredible family environment like no other president that came afterwards, not even close to what he was like. Just, I just remember, I've said it a million times, he came up and he said, I've got a funny feeling about today, Kuda, you know, the way that he says it. I was, you know, a young kid, I'm there. It's, I, I was reflecting back. Even then, before the game, I'm like, Carlton Football Club, I'm thinking, does he know something I don't know? I started to think of the times when they won, when they shouldn't have won, as a young kid witnessing them, you know, win these unbelievable games. And I don't know, all the board members were there and the board was so wonderful back then, unlike the ones that came after who didn't want to talk to us. That that board there were like, you know, either like family or felt like they were part of the, the team they just embraced us, you know what I mean? They gave us that confidence to just go out there and play. I don't know whether the other players felt the same as what I did, but that moment, I'll never forget when Jack came up to me, so I've got a funny feeling about today. And I don't even know what the temperature was like outside. My, my, what, what I can remember was like, it was as if this was the most perfect day to play footy. And as we went out there, I started in the back pocket and I could read the ball really well that day. I was in good form. And I remember halftime, we came off and we're in front. I was thinking, we could be in another grand final here. What's happening here? Then Essendon turned on. And I was playing in defence that third quarter. I'm just watching the ball go over, over, and they kicked seven goals, seven. I thought, oh, God, we're in trouble here. Um, but we're still in it. I remember the three-quarter time huddle is I walked in there. I, I don't know what was said. because People always say what was said. And I think Soss even brought us aside afterwards and said, I don't know. All I remember was when I walked in, I was just like, please, God, please, God, just tell them, just make them just play, put me in the middle. I've had enough like playing in defence. And I didn't I didn't get the call three-quarter time, but in the last quarter, in the first couple of minutes, I've seen the runner run over. I knew then. I go, yep, I'm in the midfield now for sure. And then I think there was a centre bounce and then Justin Murphy had that ball and that half-forward flank and I sprinted from the wing as fast as I could. I was like, please wait, please wait. Murph must have seen me and just bombed it in and just took that mark and made it, it was on, on for young and old after that. And so... The boys just lifted and I know we played unbelievable footy that day. And uh, yeah, when the last quarter, Mark McCurry, who was one of the greatest players I've ever seen, I reckon, he was a freak. We always worried about Merckx because he was so good. He, was, uh, he would have kicked, he had that opportunity to kick that goal. I reckon he would have kicked 99.9 times out of 100. But uh, this, on this occasion, he missed it, Merckx. And Dean Wallace tried to take on Mad Dog Fraser Brown and that was a mistake and, uh, you know, it finished up with Justin Murphy having the ball and holding it aloft when the siren went. It was one of the greatest games, apart from the premiership. I'm sure every other supporter, like yourself, Marcus, would say that's probably their favourite game of all time. In particular, 
for the people that were there. I got so many messages on my phone back then. I had 18 voice messages. You were lucky to get one a day back in the old days. It's not like now. And um, I had Essendon supporters crying, Carlton supporters cheering. I mean, the people that were at that game will never, ever forget. It was one of the greatest games I'm sure every current supporter would say, apart from the premierships that they've ever seen. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just yeah, just just to hear that. I mean, I think I've seen I've seen that game probably the most times of any game I've I've seen. Um, it's yeah, it's, it's timeless. And yeah, I think every Carlton supporter in our or, yeah in you know that's you know 25 and and younger or it, you know around that age period is just going to hang on to this game until until our next premiership. I think so. It's the closest thing we've, we've probably seen to it. So yeah, it's it's unbelievable. Um, what that game did. Um. But yeah, moving on to, to 2000 then, um, I mean, on a personal level, it was, it was probably one of your, your best seasons um, on track to, to probably win the Brownlow and that's the year you won the, you won the MVP as well. Um, and, and Carlton had a, a pretty solid season finishing in the top four and, and then losing to Essendon in, 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 a, in a prelim. Um, yeah, run us through that season. You know, you know, everything sort of just went perfectly for yourself on, on a personal level and, um, and the team too finishing um, yeah, top four. Mm, it all unfolded in 1998 when I lost my father. I I, uh, I really got into a bad state and you know, I was drinking a lot and I wasn't playing good footy and I had to make a decision. It was about around seven or eight. I played the worst game I've ever played. And luckily, the, you know, Parco just kept me in the team. And I made a decision then to train harder than I ever did before. I promised my father who was you know, up above. And because I promised him, I didn't want him to think that I was a liar. So... I trained harder than I ever did. And I found, I started to play really good footy by the time 1998 finished real consistent and started beating everyone. I was playing a centre-half back. The club put me there and I was loving it. And then 99 was the same. 99 had an unbelievable year. I missed the last five games with a knee injury. Also, it was my other knee. It was just, a, it, was a, it was a stretch capsule or something like that. It wasn't as severe as the other injuries that I had previous. I finished second in the best and first that year. I could have easily won that year as well because Played really good footy and sent out back and was loving it. And occasionally they'd throw him in the midfield. And then, uh, yeah, come 2000, they did the same thing. They were starting me and sent out back. Eventually, by about round five or six, we played Essendon, although they thrashed us, I think, that game. But they threw me into the midfield and I just started, you know, racking up possession after possession. So a lot of the games, like Sydney Swans, I had 39, took 14 marks, but I played the first quarter and a half at sent out back. And then they threw me in the midfield. Once they did, mate, that was it. It was game over. Boom, we started kicking goals and we were able to uh, beat, you know, Sydney Swans. And then from after that, they thought, I think we better just play him in the midfield. And that's when the Kangaroos game came and all the others. We won 13 games in a row that year, year 2000. I don't know if you remember. And then uh, we just lost to the Bulldogs. And then we came up against Essendon round 20 in front of 90,000 people. In a home and away game, it was one of the bit. It was the biggest home and away game of all time. They were on top. We were second, and that's when I did my knee. We were just unlucky in that period of uh, 2000, 2001, with just injuries that just got us right on finals time, and it just you know just didn't help. And I couldn't get myself. I tried to get back. I thought I was going to be all right for the second week of the final, and I said yes to the coach. And I just did one more jump, and something grabbed in my knee. And my eye went pale white, and uh, that oh, that was it. I my my knees swelled, and it took me nine months to get over it after that. So luckily, I didn't put my hand up to play because I wouldn't have lasted too long. And um, that was the year two thousand. I won the most, you know, valuable player award. I was the favourite to win the Brownlow, but even some of the big games that I had, I'd get one vote or two votes or, or no votes. I was 
in order to get a vote, man, I had to have 39 possessions, two goals, 38, kick five goals. Like, it was just like I had to like do the most – play the most extraordinary game to get three. Like uh, 32 possessions and four goals wasn't enough <laughs> to get three votes. So it was just too hard. And uh, as I'm watching that game going, what? I didn't get it. Because I think in the media, like, I don't know if I got – 13 BOGs or 12 BOGs in row. I'm not sure. Like in the media, I got a lot of weeks of BOG, but not with the umpires. So I lost that to Will Woden, but I won the Most Valuable Player Award. And that was unbelievable. I, I wouldn't have cared. I just wish I could have played finals footy, but unfortunately I didn't. In 2001, we had no, I had another great year, 2001. I didn't get the accolades because of probably the standard that I set in year 2000. But if you look back at my stats, any other year, you would have thought I would have made the All-Australian or, you know, whatever else, because I didn't make it in 99 as well. Um, I don't know. Just sometimes you get just judged a little bit harshly, maybe because, you know, the athleticism and they think, oh, you should be, or, I don't know, whatever it is. But year 2001, you know, first week of the final against Adelaide, uh, everyone was like, mate, no one's safe with Carl, you know, against Carl in this sort of form. You know, I think, uh, you know, I might have been, <laughs> I was best on ground, whatever, 36 possessions I had in the final against Adelaide. Uh, Jimmy Plunkett had an unbelievable game. He had some similar stats as well. And then the next week against Richmond, there I was, third quarter, did my knee, you know, and that was it. And so then I missed an in, well, almost an entire year. I had to come back and play with a big brace on my leg in the third game. I slipped over in Sydney. It was Dewey Knight and Jason Sandington landed on me on my brace and my knee and I snapped my medial again. So it just, we were just unlucky during that period where we still had an opportunity to potentially maybe. Like, Essendon were the dominant team in year 2000. They deserved to win the grand final. But we would never know if we were capable of beating them because we never were able to put our best team on the ground to take them on. And, you know, the, because we beat them the year before 99, could that have been a little bit of a stumbling block for them? Maybe. But unfortunately, it was I went down that week before I, um, round 20. And I think Brattles did his uh, hamstring as well. We're just unlucky with injuries. That's all. You'll be, you'll be very happy to know that we've actually had Shane Wawarden on the podcast before and Marcus did indirectly tell him that you should have won the Brownlow in year 2000. So you'd be happy that someone's got your yeah, back over absolutely. here. What did, he say? Yeah. what did Shane say? Uh, I think he just went out, let, let it go over his head a little bit there. He didn't want to, uh, didn't want to let it go, but um, yeah. no, nah, he was, he was pretty good about it. He did acknowledge that you had probably the, one of the best seasons there um, in recent memory that year. But Obviously, like you said, in uh, 1998, you sort of started training really hard and getting very fit. And, you know, I think the word Adonis has been thrown around when talking about the, the shape that you were in at certain points. What were you doing away from the club to stay in the shape that you were? And I guess it lasted all the way till the end of your career. You, you never sort of, you know, fell out of shape. Yeah, I was always, I guess, blessed a little bit body-wise. Even as a young kid, I was really, like, lean. I mean, the athletics, I never touched weights until I got to the footy club. I don't know if I did anything special. I just did weights. I... Uh, even though Ange started, Ange had a back issue that kept him out of the game for 18, 18 months. He had that sciatic nerve problem. Luckily, he didn't have an operator on. He's fine now, but it took him a long time to recover. And he went to see Tony Doherty at Doherty's gym. And uh, Tony would always say, get Cooter in, get Cooter in. I was happy to just do my own stuff. But then eventually, I went in the salo. And then Tony started training me a little. And he was a phenomenal trainer. And, uh, you know, he was able to get my size up. But then not bodybuilding mass kind of thing. It was more like power and strength uh, size. And I was always had to be a little bit careful. I didn't go too heavy because the weights I tended to just put on size quite easy as I did weight. So I had to be careful. I didn't do too much and become too big. So then I wouldn't be able to run as well. So it was a, it was a balance between what I can, could do and, and couldn't. And Tony was magnificent in that sort of way. And so 
I love my weights. I always wanted to look good on the beach, boys, of course. You know, it wasn't just about playing footy. You got to look good, mate, when you walk out there. I say to the kids, you know, like you got to do, you know, not so much beach beach weights because they probably don't, you know, help you with your sport, but you still got to look good on the beach. So even if it means a little bit of arm work or whatever, you got to look good. So I don't know. I don't think I did anything special, but our training was magnificent. Barry Mitchell was our fitness coach, mate. And Wayne Britton, Barry Mitchell and Wayne Britton, my two greatest mentors, they taught me so much about the game of footy more than anyone else did. And they just trained us hard. And we were a very fit team back then. And uh, even in terms of the skills training that we did, I absolutely loved it. I looked forward to turning up to the training. And, mate, it was just all, you know, speed, power. We did balance work. We did everything, mate. It was, they were, I think, we were ahead of time in terms of the training that we did back then. And then the last five years, it was like turning back the clock back to the early 90s. The, the training just was so old school. It was unbelievable. No, no doubt whatsoever. And I think Marcus has a similar issue to, to as what Tony would have had with you. Is he has to constantly tell me not to lift too much because I gain so much size so quickly. I'm you know, naturally tell. quite a big guy. As you, yeah, I'm sure you can tell. Um, <laughs> but you're obviously being a very busy man, even outside of football, you like to keep things going and you've you know got a few um, startups and ventures that you've been involved in. Obviously, you know, you've done a lot of um, TV work with Dancing in the Stars. You're on the Gladiator back in the day. That was obviously a bit of a hit back then. And then obviously, you know, the famous, you had the Silvaki Hut for a little while with that commercial that still gets a run around these days. But Obviously, nowadays, um, you know, more uh, modern times, you've obviously got Cuda Fit with the T-shirt you're wearing at the moment and your involvement with Herbalife. How important is it to keep busy but also spread the message of health and fitness um, after post-footy season or footy career, I should say? Good question. You know, like I was really lost in the first three years after I retired and although I was doing a little bit of media work, I, I never felt like it was going to be a, a big thing for me because I don't. you need someone to support you and someone to believe in you. I don't think I had that. And so I was, I was a bit unsure of what I was going to do with my future. And uh, I was a little bit worried, you know, and I never got an opportunity to go back to any football club. Although I tried to get back at the current football club, they said there was nothing available for me. And so there I was, you know, I walked in when I was 14, left when I was 34, you know, so many years experience played in every position, but there was no opportunity anywhere. I even approached the AFL and they said, oh, we don't have a budget. And about a month or two or three later, they they signed up two other players that had retired and I just sat there and just went, okay, fair enough, whatever. And so I had to move on and find something with the love and passion. And, uh, you know, uh, in 2010, I got really unwell with my health for the first time. And uh, I remember sometimes sleeping 11 hours a night wasn't enough, enough for me. I'd get home from work, sleep on the couch and had all these other health issues that went to see doctors, allergy specialists, you know, all these blood specialists and, Mate, whatever they told me to do, I, got, I felt worse and worse. I was eating organic food and it didn't help. I got, I got introduced to Herbalife Nutrition as a skeptic, jumped on the products and it changed my life within six days. I fell in love with the products. And so I basically smashed the products every, every single day since it's been 11 years now on the product. I think health has got to be number one priority. I know when I lost my father during that period that he would always say to me, good luck or, you know, like wish you well or you know, make sure the family's okay. But when, when you're sick and ill like he was then, the care factor was zero. And so he sort of taught me a lesson to say, you know what, I've got to value my health number one. You've got to feel good. You've got to be good mentally, physically, in order to then reflect on everyone else. I'm a father now. I want to inspire my kids to stay fit and healthy as well. I want to lead by example so they can go, wow, look, my dad's fit. I love the fact that they play sport. I don't care if they're good or not. I just think sport's just such a good, you know, um, way for them to learn about life. And, uh, so to me, sports like the key. I'm, you know, a mad sports person. 
always have been, but it just teaches you so much about life. And so, um, yeah, I like, I like to let, I think everyone should be healthy. And during, you know, the COVID times and lockdowns, I made sure like I, I set myself goals to say, pretend you're still working, get up early and still have that structure. Well, people might might have been drinking. I'm not saying not to. We've got to enjoy our life too. I don't say I never drink. I do occasionally. I still eat pasta. I still eat burgers. I still eat fish and chips. Andy's got a fish and chip shop. I was there Sunday night. You know what I mean? Potato cake. I still enjoy my food, but I, I smash Herbalife so much that I, I love I love the product. And within that last 11 years, I've helped a lot of people. And so our philosophy is 20% new, uh, exercise, 80% nutrition, and 100% mindset. And that's worked. I had a lot of Kuda Fit Clubs at one stage going as well, where we impact a lot of people out there that needed help. But I'm going to continue doing what I do because I just love it. And I love, you know, that and, uh, you know, being a good role model for my family as well. You're definitely an inspiration in terms of just life in general, I guess, but especially that health and health and fitness side of things. I know from someone my age, looking at you, um, you know, I hope to, you know, grow up and sort of be in the same shape that you are in the same healthy condition that you are as well. So, you know, props for that. You are a bit of a man of the people, though, if it, whether it's from cameos, doing swish, um, swish videos or jumping on podcasts like you have today. Is it really important for you to sort of give back to some of the fans that have supported you over the years? Or is it just something you really enjoy doing? Because you've done a fair bit of it. Yeah, I pinch myself sometimes and think how lucky I am. Like, you know, my dream was to represent Australia at the Olympics or become an AFL footballer. And through my struggles early in my career, like if you had asked me in the middle of 1994, and if you had told me, Kuda, you're going to win a couple of best and fairest and make, you know, all Australian, you're going to be sponsored by Adidas for 12 years, you're going to be doing commercials, you're going to win a premiership, you know, all you're going to become an AFL Hall of Famer, and you're going to make the Greek and Italian team of the century. I would have said, you know, you're a fool, and everyone else would have said, there's impossible. And so I sometimes pinch myself, and then I retire, and people still remember me there's another pinch moment. I think there's a lot of players that have played before me, after me, they retire and don't get the acknowledgement that I do. And so if, uh, you know, of course I'm going to try to give back. I can't do too much because I'm only one person. I've got an extremely busy life as well. You know, looking after mum too, she's not well. And so I try to spend as much time as I can with her. And so, you know, trying to get the balance right. But I, I want to inspire kids or people to believe that they can achieve things in their life, you know, and to can, continually pursue i think i look back in my career and think the greatest thing i did in my career apart from all those achievements was to stick it out for three and a half years of hard work mentally it was hard physically it was hard it was tough but it was all worth it once i got through that and became what we call bona fide you know senior player where you pick pretty much automatically every week and say yes i enjoy giving back because if my life experience can help inspire someone or the next generation of footballers or whatever then it's worth it to me. You know, I've had a lot of role models in my life and I look up to them and love them as well. I read a lot of books to see what other people have done and achieved and I love that. And so anytime I can give back, I will. Yeah, love that. That's great. Um, bringing it back on, on to footy and um, and talk about the modern day blues. So what are your thoughts on, on the current um, Carlton team? Obviously, it's been, been a tough, tough few years. I mean probably longer than that. Um, but, but things look like they're, they're starting to turn a little bit and you know, they've had a pretty, pretty good off season and um, judging by their, their early preseason games, things are look, looking pretty good. So what are your thoughts on, on the current situation and, and how do you think the blues are going to go this year? I always say they're going to make finals footy. 
And uh, I really do believe that they do when I say it. And I really do believe this year that they will make finals footy. I think they're, they've got a potentially could be, you know, a good few years for the football club. I think, I think, I mean, they've got some superstar plays, you know what I mean? It's just a matter of getting it all together. They seem to be recruited well. Um, I'm really excited. Uh, Chair is there now too. I met him uh, last week and uh, I'm really excited to watch them play. My, I mean, you too, Marcus, I guess, you know, lately we haven't seen a lot of success. My young boy, who's 11, who loves footy and loves Carlton, hasn't seen a lot of success. I just want to go watch finals footy with him and just cheer the Blues. And even if they don't win the first one, but if I can just, you know, go there and see them win the Premiership again, it's going to just be unbelievable. So hopefully this year they do make it. I'm, I'm sure that they will. I can never be sure, but I, 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 I'm assuming that they will this year with the way that they are playing. So I am excited once again to watch the boys play. So hopefully we haven't got that same feeling where we get through half the year and just think, I've had enough of this team, seriously. So uh, let's hope that they do. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, trying to keep a lid on it, even though we've, uh, yeah, that, that Melbourne game was impressive in the preseason. But yeah, we, we've uh, been way too familiar with uh, with what's happened after a, a bright preseason. So um, yeah, we'll see what happens. But first game round one next week against the Tigers, against, against Quinn's Tigers. How do you think they're going to go? Are we, I mean, we're, what, is it? Nine, ten years now since we've beaten you. I think it's been a long time. So 2013, you beat us in the elimination. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. 2012 was the last time in round yeah, one. Yeah, so we are due. So what, 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 what are our chances for, for next week? Uh, look, to be honest, Marcus, I, I don't study the form guide, you know what I mean? But I did watch them play against Melbourne. I thought they were terrific. And then once again, Melbourne came back. And I'm thinking, geez, is it the Colton of old? But Melbourne's a phenomenal team. We can't judge by pre-season. But round one, look, Richmond is still a phenomenal team when we know that. But round one, funny things can happen. So the boys seem like they're ready to play. You know, they seem like, man, they've got the new coach. They're excited. So I don't know. Like most weeks, you think they can do it? I think they can win, you know? Yeah. Sorry, Quinn, but like I have to go to the Blues. (laughs) Not to say the Richmond can't win either if you ask me the question. So I'm excited. It should be an absolute beauty. Now, look, I think it would be the one of the better round one games over the last few years, that's for sure. Look, very much looking forward to it. And a, and a full house as well, which is going to be good. I'm really hoping it just reignites the uh, the rivalry between Richmond and Carlton yep. because it hasn't been as close the last few years. So a really good game, I think, would bring that back. Yep, for sure. All right, Kuda. So just before we wrap up, we've uh, we've got a segment we do with all our guests. It's called the Pressure Cooker, where we'll ask you some quick fire questions, um, nothing too too serious, and uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap up from there. All right, best player you've played with? Uh, Greg Williams. No, no, I've seen I, I witnessed his two greatest years in 93 94. We're talking about a guy that had left foot, right foot, and hit targets every time, and his handballs were like a kick as well. So I just remember like a pack formed, the ball would come out. You're looking around going, mate, I'm all clear here. He was just a phenomenal player, man. I haven't seen anything like Greg Williams. No, fantastic choice. Other than the premiership, what's the favourite game you've played in? The 99 prelim final, no doubt. I think, yeah, that's my second favourite. Yeah, easy question. Um, toughest opponent? Quinn, you would like this one. Matty Richardson. I Ooh. always say it everywhere I go, man. In in good form that I had at centre-half back in 98, 99, he was the only player that I that beat me the entire year, like that the two times that I played on him. 
phenomenal. I felt like every time the ball was going to was going into the forward line that he would get it, get it every time. And I played on some absolute uh, greats. He was like yeah, my kryptonite. You know, he was unbelievable. Like we talk about athlete and had endurance and speed. I didn't have good endurance, and I think he knew that because he used to live with Brad Pierce, like a few of Ben Harrison, like a few of the Carlton boys before Ben went to Richmond. So he knew, you know, a lot about us players. I did love that. You were right. And it was funny, just before we recorded today, Marcus and I were actually watching a video the AFL put together and they were sort of comparing um, different players and they were comparing you and Richard and we were sort of having a little debate about it. So it's fantastic to hear that you guys did have that little bit of a rivalry going on. But next question on the pressure cooker, Peter or Savlaki? Oh, no, no, Peter, Peter. Yeah. I grew up in my Italian mum and she used to make home, homemade pizzas and the Carlton recruiters used to come over when I was like 14 to you know, convince me to go and play and you know when I was 15 and mum used to make them pizza and made, they used to maul it. Then I did work experience at Carlton. Mum got up early. She made all these pizza. I had to take, I had to got a bus from outside my house to Thomastown Station, Thomas Station all the way to Swanson, whatever it is that is it Swanson Street or anyway, the state train station? And then Elizabeth Street, I had to catch the tram from Elizabeth Street all the way to Carlton Football Club with this hot pizza in a, in a container with a plastic bag. And everyone could smell the pizza anyway. Jezalinko was coached back then and mate, it didn't even make it till lunch. By mid-morning, all the pizza was done and dusted. So pizza to me. Good, good Italian mum as well. We can both yeah. relate to yeah. that. So absolutely. Yeah. Um, favourite current day player? Oh, current day player. Mm. Oh, I have no idea, boys. If we're talking Carlton, I mean, I, I think I love Cripper, but I, I mean, I love a lot, a lot of the players too, like Charlie and that as well. Just uh, my Cripper off the top of my head, you know, just outstanding years ago. His last couple of years, not not as dominant, but he was just unbelievable last week watching him play. I hope he has a ripping year. I think he looks back to his best for sure. Uh, who is your tip for the uh, the 2022 Premiership? Oh, Carlton, of course, mate. You've got Obviously. to believe. Yeah? Come on. <laughs> Silly question. I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> Obviously. Uh, look, um, you don't know, right? Obviously, because I, as I said, I don't study the form guide, but just Melbourne, the way they were last year, you would think they've got that opportunity to be able to do it again. So I, I really don't know. But Yeah. No, it's hard to go past the Ds for sure. Um, best piece of advice? Um. David Parkin said once, well, many times, your pages of youth turn over very quickly. And I never really understood what it meant at day JD, 19, 2021, every year hearing it, thinking, mate, I've had enough shut up. But as you get to 26, 27, 28, you realize your time in the game is really just, you know, limited and you haven't got a lot of time. So to make the most of it, you know, your pages of youth turn over very quickly. And it's so true. And then before you realize it, you're retiring. So just make the most of uh, every opportunity, basically. Absolutely. I love that one. And uh, last one for the pressure cooker, which is your favorite Herbalife supplement to use? Oh, well, the shake, the shake's probably the core product of it all. There's a fat burning tea as well that I love. And maybe the aloe vera we call liquid gold. So probably those three, but you know, if I have to pick one, of course, a shake, because that has all the nutrition you need. It's unbelievable. Beautiful. Love it. Beautiful. All right. Well, uh, that is, that is it, Kuda. Um, that, that was great. Um, you know, as, as I said, well, everyone knows I'm, I'm a calm supporter. So having you on has, has been um, been unbelievable. Still pinching myself that with that we've got you on the podcast. So why are you sweating um, so much? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, so it's been great, mate. Really appreciate your time and um, yeah, and, and all the best for the year ahead. And and hopefully, uh, yeah, we can we can celebrate a bit more with the Blues this year as well. 
That'd be good. Thanks very much, boys, for having me on, and uh, good luck to both of you, all right? Thank you very awesome. much, Kuda. Absolute pleasure. Thanks, Kuda. No worries.